0: Was that real or fake? Woman who killed cats by throwing them out of the window gets two weeks prison sentence. Okay, what do you think? One of those actually happened and the other one did not. I'm going to ask you to vote. We haven't done that in a while. Who says the first one, daycare, fight club, is true? Okay, a few of you believe that. Hopefully none of you are operating it. And then woman threw her cats out the window going to prison for two weeks. Okay, good. It's only two weeks. And those of you that voted for the second one read the South China Morning Post front page this week, because that was one of the first headlines I saw when I came back to Hong Kong. Welcome back. (laughs) But you see, all around us are messages that we're having to interpret. Is this real or is this fake? In the same way, the world is drastically trying to change what love is defined as. In the same way, the world is drastically telling us that we make our own truth, and we define love by how we feel, and there is no longer an absolute right or wrong, and there is no longer any certainty in this world except what we feel is right for us. Interestingly enough, the Bible would say, "Uh, no, you've missed it. There is definitely real love in this world. And it starts with a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And as I was praying, as I had some time in the word that I wasn't preparing a sermon, I was asking, Lord, what do you want us to do the rest of the summer uh, for the month of August and this last day of July? And he kept reminding me, I was at my cousin's wedding and I heard for the millionth time at a wedding, First Corinthians 13 read, and it's excellent. But outside of weddings, I've almost never heard that passage preached. And there's so much depth and there's so much richness in finding the most excellent way to live that I asked our under shepherds, hey, could we spend August looking at what real love looks like? And where that starts is with a quote that we find from, oops, A.W. Tozer. Because if we understand anything about love, we have to start with God himself. And what comes into our minds about God, when we, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. How we think about who God is defines how we live. You with me so far? How we think about who God is defines how we will live. Because if we tell him that he is as changeable as our definitions of love throughout the day, then what kind of God is he? If, however, we look to his word and see that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is holy, as we just sang about. He is righteous, as we've sung about all morning. And This morning, as we look at that he is love, it changes how we interpret and interact with the world around us. Because in order for us to understand real love, we have to understand at least a fraction of who God is. And so we open our Bibles, not necessarily first to 1 Corinthians 13, but to 1 John 4, 16, God is love. You've been learning that since the first moment you probably went to church. We teach our children. We repeat it all the time. But I wonder how often we internalize this truth that God is love. By the way, you've got your notes with you uh, right there. Please, uh, if you want to keep track, fill in the blanks for those that like to do that. Those were in your bulletin. If you didn't get a bulletin, raise your hand and we'll give you those to fill out. But let's think about that for a minute. It's not... It doesn't just say that God loves well. It doesn't just say that God is about love. It's actually a state of being that says God in his three persons is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. We get right away a picture of real love. Real love doesn't start with our feelings about that person we're in love with. It doesn't start with a definition of the world. It starts with God himself. God is love. Think about that. The author and perfecter of our faith is also the God who is love. He's not just about love. He is the epitome, the definition of in the existence of love itself. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God lives in them. We know that through the work of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. But see, this is like Sunday school material. Christianity 101. Almost anybody, even if they've only gone to church once, could tell me, yes, God is love. But here's the thing. And what Josh McDowell, years ago, and they're coming out with a new version in October this year, uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Many of you might have read that book uh, along the way. If you haven't, wait till October and read the new one. Uh, It's, uh, from what I've heard, exceptional. But in that book, he calls for what's called a relational apologetic. In other words, having a real relationship with Jesus Christ that's about investing in the Lord Jesus Christ as we walk through life, loving him as he first loves us. It's about a relationship. God is a relational being. In three persons, the Son interacts with the Father, interacts with the Holy Spirit, and they together interact with us. He is relational and he invites us into that loving relationship. And when we live in that kind of love, we understand that there is perfect love. 2 Samuel twenty two thirty one 31 tells us that as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all those who take refuge in him. Again, to understand love, we have to have a, at least a right basic understanding of who God is. We know he is love, and we must also remember that he is perfect perfect. And some of you might say, well, hey, Mike, I'm pretty good. And I would say to you, well, are you perfect? And you might even be tempted to say, well, no, not quite, but I'm pretty good. And I would say, well, let me talk to your spouse or your brother, your sister or a family member or someone that knows you well. And they might have a list of things that might be held against you. Things that maybe you don't do quite as well as you thought you did. Because we can often puff ourselves up and think more highly of ourselves than we ought. God never does, because he is perfect. He never thinks too highly of himself, because he is perfect. And he invites us into that relationship with him, washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, that covers our imperfections with his purity that invites us into a relationship in which we are made whole and complete because of him, not because we can fix ourselves. Rick Warren says it like this. He says, God takes his perfection, mixes it it with the blood of Christ, and paints his perfection over our imperfection. You see, it's not that we're perfect on our own. It's that we've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. He has to be perfect. If he's not perfect, what kind of God would we be worshiping? We would just be worshiping a false God that has no power over the heavens and the earth. But the thing is, he's never changed. He's as perfect today as he was 3,000 years ago. He's as perfect today as he was when he hung each star in the sky, of which we're still discovering more and more. His ways are right Why do we need to know that in relation to love? Well, let me ask this. At any time in your life, has a loved one ever hurt you? Most of you would probably say yes. We have been wounded by those we love or thought we loved or that might have loved us, we thought. Somewhere along the lines, maybe we had a broken heart. But the thing about God we may not understand all of his ways. We may not understand his timing. We may understand why he allows us to go through such things as loss, as sickness, as financial insecurity, as whatever the case may be. But he never changes. And he is always with us. And he is always trustworthy. And he never, ever Ever makes a mistake. See, we know this to be true up here, but over the next few weeks, my prayer is that it moves from up here to the people of AIC that we give out these truths because I think it's hard for us to remember the strength of God's love that gets us through each day because apart from him, we can do nothing. That's just what the scriptures teach. There's more to it. When we understand the perfection of God, when we understand that His words are flawless, they're without error, they are perfect, we know that our refuge, our comfort in times of trouble. I was, what, seven or eight thousand miles away from you this summer for a month. And yet I heard time and again of different struggles many of you faced. And oh, how I wanted, and I'm not lying, I wanted to come back and just put my arms around you, give you a hug, and walk with you through those things. It's hard to do when you're in America and coming all the way back to Hong Kong. But the thing was, I knew that it wasn't my job, that there is one who cares more deeply for you than I do. And his name is Jesus. And his Shield protects and watches over you and gives comfort to those who find refuge, who find protection, who find, as Paul would say later on in 1 Corinthians, hope in him. A perfect God allows us to find our hope in him because he won't disappoint us. We may place expectations on him that he doesn't fulfill, but those are because we've told him how to be God when we've truly surrendered ourselves to him, when we've been set apart, when we said, Lord, all I have is yours, as Jesus did right before he was crucified, we see the world through a different lens. And we say, God, your ways are perfect and we will trust on you. John adds to this. He goes a step further. He says, in this world, we are like Jesus. How cool is that? That because of what Jesus has done, we are made to be like him. We get the privilege of being and living like Jesus Christ. Or that's at least the invitation we're given. Sadly, many in the church around the world don't look at all like Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying that to discourage you. I'm saying that to invite you to a better way to live. I'm inviting you to go back to the word of God and say, In him is our hope, not in the ways of man. Whether it be politics, committees, decisions that other people make, no, our hope is in Jesus Christ. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. You see, God is love, he is perfect, and his love is the answer to fear and shame. If you've followed newspapers this year, you've known that we've seen a spike in Hong Kong in uh, child and teenage suicides. If you've lived in the city any length of time, you know that we're a city that's known to be very fast-paced, that's known to have high levels of stress in your workplace. If I asked you to raise your hand today, if you felt pressure at work this week, my, my instinct says most of you would raise your hands up that you feel a pressure either to perform or if you are a part of a family, your family has placed expectations on you that you feel you'll never measure up to. You feel like you have to be perfect to reach this set of expectations that others have placed on you or that you have placed on yourself and you live in a constant state of either fear or shame. Either I'm not going to do it right Or I'm not good enough. How could someone possibly love, trust, or believe in me? But perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love gets rid of shame and says that you are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. And your life is made new in Jesus Christ. There is a way to live that lets go of the pressures and the stressors of whether it be school, work, family, injustice in this world that says, come to me and I will give you rest. You don't have to be afraid. I am doing a new thing. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. Mike doesn't say that. God says that. In this world, you and I, adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God, are like Jesus. Paul in Romans tells us that we are co-inheritors. We are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We're part of the family. And as such, there's nothing we have to be afraid of. So let's review. God is love. God's love is perfect because he is perfect, and God's love is the answer to fear and shame. Again, Mike, you might say, I know this is simple. I know all these things. And I say, great, I'm glad you know them. Are you living in them? Am I living in them? I have to be honest with you. I was sharing uh, with a loved one before the service today about dealing with stress, and you know what? pastors who are supposed to get up here and tell you how great it is to follow and trust in Jesus and we're never afraid or we're never stressed or we're never full of anxiety. I went back to America and I began wearing, I've got a favorite baseball team of which I got to take my son to see for the first time and it was awesome this summer, but I was wearing my new baseball hat. I try to get one every time I go back and I looked inside it and I realized that I was losing my hair and it's not because of my age. It's because that's how stressed I was. That's how much of the burden I was carrying. And it was deeply convicting to me that I'm supposed to get up here and teach our church family what it means to put our hope and our refuge and our strength in the Lord God Almighty, and I wasn't doing it myself. I was telling him how to fix things. And you know how well that goes? Sometimes he actually lets it go okay. A lot of times he lets us wallow in ourselves and then say... Come on back, Mike. Remember Hosea? Come home. I felt like as I was lying there at different homes that I traveled around the country, he was reminding me, come home. I will carry this for you. And you know, in my heart, I was ashamed that I had let the anxiety get the best of me. And then I took a deep breath and it was as if I inhaled the power of the Holy Spirit yet again. And I exhaled the fear and the shame and I could take a new step forward. For today is a new day and his mercies are new every morning. You may have failed yesterday, but today is a new day. Confess with your heart. Repent, be forgiven and stand on the rock that is Jesus Christ and let his mercies wash over you each new day. Because it's his love that is the answer to fear and shame. The great thing is, we love because he first loved us. It took me this long to get to the the big point. Here you go. God not only is love, but he loves us. We don't always remember that. Mike, I know these are simple truths. I know they're simple truths. Yet it's such a simple truth that it is... Repeated throughout all of the entire Bible. The love of God is on every page of the Word of God, whether it be in how He disciplines those He loves, to how He he deals with evil and injustice and oppression, how He calls us to care for the poor, the weak, the least of these, the sick, the broken, the hurting. And how he cautions against comfort and self-sufficiency and self-satisfaction and says, look to me, seek me first. It's out of his great love for his creation. Remember, man was created in the very image of God. It's common in churches to say that we are the imago Dei, the image of God. Why do we say that? Because God's word teaches us. And as such, we carry his image with us as image bearers. Uh... When you hear the, the commandment that says, don't take the Lord's name in vain, many people directly associate that to swearing. But it goes deeper than that. It goes to how we carry the very name of God and how we carry the fact that God is love, shows the world that there is real love in this world. And we only know that if we experience that he loves us. Last fall or Last spring, we got the chance to take a, a group of men through the world needs a father. And I hope we get the chance to do that over and over and over again in the days and seasons to come and, and uh, the, the, the course for women as well. But one of the most important things we talk about there is the fact that because of who God is and what he's done, we have tremendous potential. And God affirmed that in Jesus Christ, and we are called to affirm that in one another. But here's the thing, back to that fear and shame that we often give. How often are we, the church, good at nitpicking and pointing out the failures of others, losing sight of the, cre- the fact that they are God's creation. Where they are in their journey, we may not be able to push them where we expect them to be, but who knows how many other people were disappointing because we're not as far along as we want to be. But what we can do, what we're invited to do, what we're called to do is show them the love of God because he first loved us. And in so doing, we look at this again. Look at what Jesus says. He says first, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. He adds in in the Mark passage, I use the Matthew here. This is the first and greatest commandment. Remember, which relationship is most important in our lives? Not any horizontal relationship. As much as you hear me time and again talking about your love for one another in this room, please don't start there. Because no matter what, you will let each other down. I will let you down. I will fail. Your neighbor will fail. And you will fail your neighbor. We must always start with the love of God and our relationship with him that then points us to loving him wholly with all of our being. And then as Jesus says, loving your neighbor as yourself. Mike, I don't think very much of myself. I have a problem with low self-esteem and you know what? That is a real issue and I have an answer for it the love of God that gives us confidence that we are his creation, his masterpiece, his handiwork. He knew us before the creation of the world. And so as we see that, we can be confident in who he's created us to be. We can put aside the failures of our past knowing that we have been forgiven, we have been cleaned by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we've been invited into a new life. And in that love, we can be confident in knowing that we are loved. We can be confident that our identity starts with God, not with our performance. And as we take roots, we'll be tempted to love ourselves an awful lot we'll be tempted to make decisions that make life best or easiest for us when we know there's someone we could be helping, when we know if we held back from this, we could give that away to someone else and make a difference in lives. I was was convicted greatly of a powerful illustration. As some of you heard, uh, my mom, the last week I was in America, uh, ended up having to be rushed to the emergency room and ended up spending a few days in the hospital uh, for a situation that we didn't see coming. We didn't know it was coming. And my parents have lived, I think, in the same house for about 18 years And they are the epitome of loving their neighbors. I remember as a child, they would drag us out to all of our neighborhood to give them bread at Christmas. And I used to hate it because I don't like meeting new people, but it was what we were supposed to do because we would love our neighbors. And my mom would never move on that point. And for 18 years, they've had the same Italian neighbors just on the other side of their hedge, their bushes that divide the houses as is often the case in America. And they've never gotten very far in a relationship, but they've cared for this Italian couple for years and it all being very one-sided. Uh, the husband had a liver transplant a few years ago and my mom and dad were there to check on them. My dad went to visit him in the hospital, but that was as far as things got. Well, I remember when the ambulance pulled up, I had to run my kids to my sister's house and as I was trying to get them out so they didn't get scared by the ambulance, I saw peering into our yard or my family's yard this couple that I didn't know very well, but that my next door neighbors. And I didn't think much of it until I was mowing the grass on the Thursday before I left. And the man came and was asking me, how's your mom? He said, you must be the son. That was my name, the son. And I said, "Well, yes, I am the son. And so we were talking about it. And two hours later, my dad got a phone call from this family, from this couple saying, we're making you dinner tonight. You've been so gracious to us over the years. The least we can do is help you by preparing a meal for you. Never before had there been any sort of show of hospitality or of relationship. But for 18 years, my parents had faithfully loved their neighborhood. And many of their neighbors came just to check on, provide for, and care for a family in need. We never know when the fruit will be born, but we know we are always called to love. We might, it might take 18 years, and as of yet, I don't know that this family has come to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but I do know they know they're loved, and they're expressing that love. We're called to love one another because we are first loved by God anyone who loves God must. Notice it's not an optional thing. He doesn't say, maybe you should. He doesn't say, if you like them. He doesn't say, if you understand them. He says, anyone who loves God will and must also love their brother and sister. It's an invitation to dig into how Paul defines love as he writes those words in 1 Corinthians 13 that challenges us to love in a big, miraculous way, regardless of what other people do to us. Often it's easy to love when people love us, right? Some of you might remember uh, Martin and Gracia Burnham. Uh, They were missionaries to the Philippines uh, down in the south uh, largely their ministry uh, as a, a pilot. Uh, New Tribes Mission was the organization they were with. And on June 1st, I believe it was the year 2001, they were taking, taken hostage uh, by uh, Islamic militants that lived in those areas of the Philippines. I can't remember the exact island, but you can Google it and find out later. And for 366, 376 days, they were hostages. Unfortunately, at the end of the hostage crisis, of which there were many other hostages, uh, Martin himself was killed. Gracia was rescued. But there's two things I thought that were very telling as I recalled this story and as I kind of... Rehearsed what had happened because I remember reading about it all these years ago And the first thing I remember was that at one point the local filipina nurse That had been with them was given the chance to be released and set free and to go back home because she was native to the philippines She refused Why? Because of her love for gracia and martin Because they had so loved her that she wouldn't dare but stay with them through the rest of the journey Second, another girl, a 15-year-old that had been captive most of the time but was also set free, had this to say. Later, she would say she would never have survived without the loving support of Gracia, who even befriended and taught the gospel to those that were holding she and her husband prisoner. It reminds me of what Paul talked about, when he and Silas could sing hymns to the Lord our God and King in the midst of being in prison. We don't always know the outcome of the persecution, the trials, and the struggles we face, but we know in all things God is love. And he calls us to love our neighbor as we would love ourselves. And in so doing, we preach the good news of Jesus Christ by our actions. So what do we do with this? Well, first we understand that as fish are made for water, humans are made for love. That's John Stott that said that. And we don't often remember that. We don't often take that seriously anymore. That we were created to be in loving relationships first with God, then with one another. But if we're so caught up in pointing out flaws and fighting with one another, then we've missed the point of God's love for us. Because it is he who covers a multitude of sins. It is his grace that covers a multitude of sins. So what do we do? We understand what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, which as you see next week is where we'll begin our series on 1 Corinthians 13. Living in the fullness of God's love is the most excellent way to live. There's no better way to live than knowing that God has me, that God loves me, And that my confidence, my security, my faith, my hope, and my love are in him, not in myself. And it is then that I can give that love away. So what do we do? Where do we go from here? I thought I'd give you some homework. Some of you are educators. Some of you are students that are getting ready to go back to school. Lord, help us. And as such, here's some homework. First, we're going to do this every week. The first one is always going to be the same. And I, just in case you say, well, Mike, I don't have a Bible. Oh, one, by the way, grab one in the back if you don't have one. Second, just take your sermon notes with you. I put them on the back. Read this every day for the next week. It takes, what, two minutes to read it? If you read it out loud, you'll remember it better So just take a moment each day or read it more than once throughout the day this week. And as you read it, pray that God would open your heart, mind, and soul to the power of his love, that he would draw you near to him as he has drawn near to us. Then here we go. Ooh, now it gets real. Seek out. Notice I didn't say wait. I'm inviting, I'm challenging, I'm calling, whatever you want to say, boldly proclaiming that I you can hold me accountable too. I got to do this myself. One person you will love like Jesus this week. That goes without saying that's not someone you're easily loving already. To seek someone out means you've got to go chase after someone that needs the love of God. It might be painful. It might be dangerous hopefully not in the physically dangerous sense, but in the risk that it takes, much like that moment when if, if you were the one that asked your spouse out on that first date, will they say yes or will they say no? Loving like Christ has first loved his church is a risky thing and not all of the world will understand it. Take the risk. Big or small ways. Face the giants as uh, Kelvin preached on over the course of this summer face it and run toward God and invite others to come with you. And then here's what we're going to do. I am so confident that if we, the church family do this, God is going to miraculously work among us. That next week we're going to go old school in what church used to be like, but we don't really do anymore. We're going to have a testimony time in the middle of church. That's weird. And it might be uncomfortable for you just as it would be for me. I don't Actually, like getting up in front and saying, This is what God's doing in my life. That's interesting enough. But what if we not only sought out the people, but then we said and we told others and we testified to how God is at work in and through us? And others gained strength and said, Oh, if God can work there, he can work here as well. May we be the church that talks about what God is doing. Remember Deuteronomy 6, the Shema? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then he goes on to say, write these words upon your door frames, carry them with you when you get up and when you sit down and when you rise, talk about them with your children. We are to be talking about God and what he is doing all the time. And here at AIC, we are going to testify to what he has done in our lives as we sought one person that we would love this week. And next week, I expect many of us to come back and say, look at what God did when I sought out those needing his love. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are the very definition of real love. I thank you for the power of your words that tell us we are first loved by you. I know it's the most simple of all equations, but yet we forget it time and time again and we choose self over you. So Lord, today, please help us to rest in your love, knowing that you are perfect, knowing that it is you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, who gives us strength to love the unjust, the unrighteous, and the hard to love. May we love as Christ first loved us. Amen.